right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We've got a, another fun show coming at you uh, on today's edition of RCST. And we're going to be joined by David Lesky of Inside the Crown coming up here in about 35 minutes. Right now, the Royals have a new manager. We're also going to be joined by um, the KU women's basketball team as part of our Monday conversations that we have at 425 here by Brock McGinnis, who's the director of player personnel. We've got some Lance Leipold audio. He spoke with the media earlier today happy halloween by the way you do anything fun tonight uh <clears throat> i don't i don't know i don't think so not really i mean i don't know what about you no i'm not i'm just broadcasting basketball games and my wife will be giving out candy to the kids with the dog outside everything i don't know maybe That's having nice. a fire there nothing crazy when's the last time you dressed up for halloween like actually dressed up oh well <laughs> Well, like, there was one year that I, like, at the last second, I was like, well, I'll just be, like, a lumberjack and wear a pair of jeans and, like, a flannel shirt. So I didn't really try to dress up. Oh, okay. So, like, full-on garb. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, It's it's been a while, actually. It's been a while. At least least a couple years. I don't even know. I don't remember. Yeah. It's definitely been a while for me, too. Well, uh, NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. So tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner, of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. And check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings up to 100% with DraftKings' same game stepped-up parlays. Just go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt-in, and place a stepped-up same game parlay today. And you can get Kansas right now. How about this line? Kansas is only getting two points against Oklahoma State. Yeah, crazy. I mean, obviously... Oklahoma State just lost by 48, which, by the way, that's the largest loss by a top 10 team ever, I think. I'm pretty sure. That's wild. 48 points. Uh, oh, my gosh. that That's crazy. So, like, I, I don't know what to think of Oklahoma State now. Are they going to be super mad coming off that loss? Are they just bad now? Is this an indication of some of their big problems? And, of course, you have the question of Spencer Sanders. Is he going to play or not? Mm-hmm. Or so, are they going to let Gunner sling? lot to think about, but KU just getting two points, which uh, makes you feel, I don't know, excited. Headed into the weekend might be the way to put it. Yes. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code KLWN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code KLWN. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus issued is free bets. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Deposit, parlay, and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms 
KU football back at it this week. Chiefs football back at it this week. It's a big week for us. KU basketball back at it this week. We had a down week last week. We had the off week, but it's all back this week. I kind of like. I kind of liked everybody eating on by the same week though. Same weekend. Just get it out of just the get way. The whole weekend to just kind of chill. You that know? was kind of nice. And then also, yeah, it's like if it's all at once, then it's not like you know one week you have only the Chiefs and then one week you have only the Jayhawks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To get it all out of the way at one time. I, I liked it. I was a fan of that. Yeah, I think that it was nice from exactly what you're saying of like, I didn't feel like tied down to, okay, this time I have to carve out this time <laughs> during this day to watch this. And I was just able to do whatever. And it's like, ah, if I miss some of the games, like I, I got to go do this chore. I got to go run this errand or I want to do this thing. I want to watch this movie. Like you didn't feel as, as tied down to that, which was kind of nice, but I don't know. I, I would like it better being spread out. Yeah, At least so? give me one of the two, you know? I guess. Like, I don't want them both to be on by the same week. Or all three of them with, with KU basketball, too. But now, okay. now now we get everything. And now it's going to be a race to the finish line over the next month or so. Because now we are going to have nonstop action between KU football, Chiefs, and KU basketball over the next month or, or whatever the season's left. And who knows, maybe two months if KU can make a bowl game, which hopefully yeah. that does happen. So that's exciting starting during today with the show. There was some news over the weekend with the Big 12 getting new media rights. Pretty big news. Yeah, you didn't have actual huge news today. I guess this is just the Yeah. Huge Sorry, news. I got to get more consistent with getting the huge news. No, I mean the thing is some days there's just Yeah, not if there's huge not news. huge news then, you know, don't force it. You I don't want to Yeah. I you don't want it to fair. lose its lust. No, I I guess that's fair. Luster? I don't know. Um so the Big 12 agreed to a 6-year $2.28 billion media rights deal with ESPN and Fox Sports. The extension brings in $380 million a year. That is a $160 million increase from its current deal. Basically, the math works out to this that um, the schools are going to be getting like 31 point something million dollars per school per year from the media rights deals. But keep in mind, as part of that, as part of the deals coming in with ESPN and Fox, it doesn't include Tier 3 rights, which is basically like streaming rights, like ESPN Plus could be a part of that, uh, having whatever deals you have that, that get extra money as part of those media rights, like those bring in more money for schools, that doesn't include like making the bowl game and NCAA tournament share money. That doesn't include money coming from the college football playoff and whatnot. So um, previously, the number is around $40 million per school when you add up the TV rights, which is around $20 million per school, and you add in the TV rights and the Tier 3 rights and all those other things, It basically the total ends up being around $40 million. With this TV deal, once you add in the Tier 3 rights and all the other things, it should be around $50 million. So even though Oklahoma and Texas are leaving the conference, they're going to actually be making more once they're gone, which is pretty exciting. And also, they kind of finagled something similar to what the Big Ten had, which is basically in the event of expansion, then I think their money amount would still be locked in to $50 million or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, that's important. A.K.A. expansion's coming. 
Yes, that's very important that there is that pro rata clause, I think is what it's called in yeah. the event of a expansion, because then now you're talking about something that it's not just like, okay, if you're, if you're, I don't know, maybe ESPN or Fox, I, I do wonder how they view this because on one hand they could say, well, we're going to have to pay more money if you expand, so why sh why would we help you expand? But the other case of it for them is we can make a better conference, and if we make a better conference, then by expanding, we got a good deal of what you're at. Like you, you I, might be making, we, we're distributing 30 whatever million dollars per school per year right now. If you had Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, whoever, I think your conference on the open market would be worth $40 million per year. So we're comfortable, you know, paying the extra money or whatever. I, I don't know what the math would work out to be. I, I got to be honest. I, I'm, I'm becoming increasingly convinced that the, that money just doesn't matter to these big TVs, to these big TV networks. It just doesn't matter. What do you it just mean? doesn't matter. They'll just they'll just pay whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's all it's all it's all irrelevant. I do wonder if there will be a point in this with just like and this yeah, like is, just, is there a tipping point? Right. Just every time we get a new that's contract like, with anything, right? Whether like, it's NFL like, think about or it. like the 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 value of TV media rights has like quintupled mm -hmm. in the last ten years, right? Is there is there a tipping point, or is it just going to be by twenty thirty ESPN is going to be paying ten billion dollars? To, I to would broadcast think there's SEC, a tipping point, but you're right. Broadcast SEC games. Does it doesn't matter. I don't know. But yeah, I, I do wonder if ESPN and Fox would now be motivated to help the Big 12 in expansion. Um, because this is interesting, too. The Big 12 is the only Power 5 conference that has ESPN and Fox as their two partners. Which you can say what you want about, like, there's all this talk about the Pac-12 now coming in and... Amazon's going to bid big on them and, and give a bunch of money, and that's all fair and well, and that might keep them afloat. And I mean, who knows? No, that, Amazon, that could be that could be the lifesaver that it, it could that, be the Pac-12 needs. And, and Amazon might pay, you know, more money than what the Big Twelve is getting from these. For all we know, because they just want to get so badly into the game, and they keep the Pac-12 afloat by doing so. That wouldn't be surprising. Yeah. But at the end of the day, in terms of like a brand of your conference. Yes, the money is very important, and it's probably the number one thing in the bottom line here. But you know what else is important? Having your games being on national TV and people watching them. Because or if people you, if, being able to figure out how to watch them. Yes, like, because if like, it's on it's Amazon, the, like yeah, it's, it's going to cut out a big part of your audience. Exactly. Like, what's your audience? Mm -hmm. Middle-aged guys. Yeah. And you, you got to tell them to figure out how to get on Twitch or get on Amazon. Right. <laughs> and then subscribe to it and all this stuff. And, like, <laughs> I get it. Like, we are in a new age digital world where a lot of people know how to do that. But still, like, a lot of people don't. Like, And, and there are a lot of people, too. Like, you think of, in especially in this area or maybe in the South or something where people live out in, you know, less populated areas where you're living kind of on the farm or out on acreage of land or something to where you don't have access to as good of Wi-Fi. You have access to cable or you have access to local TV channels like Fox or cable with ESPN, but you don't have good enough Wi-Fi to actually stream a game like that. And I know that's not like the maybe the biggest segment of audience, but that is a segment of the audience. So this is big that that's the case. And there will obviously still be streaming involved like ESPN Plus and whatnot. 
Yeah, does this but feel- as long as it's not your overwhelming majority, which I'm wondering if that's what's going to happen with the Pac-12. I didn't really look into it, but does this deal uh, still include the BS about ESPN Plus, how you have to have, they're going to force teams to be on ESPN Plus? I don't know. I would assume so. But that could also be part of the Tier 3 rights. I don't know how that works. That's so annoying. Yeah, I, I think that might be the Tier 3 stuff. I, I don't know fully on that. Um but now you look at where the Big 12 is at. Uh, we'll await to see what happens with the Pac-12. The fact that the Big 12 got this done sooner than the Pac-12, I would imagine, is a good thing, especially with ESPN and Fox, because now ESPN and Fox, like... They're tied uh, to you. Yes, exactly. And also the fact that the Big 12 is not in a game where, oh, no, the Pac-12 signed up with ESPN and Fox, and now ESPN and Fox are like, hey, we're already filled up. We have this, this, and this. We don't need you anymore. You're going to have to go to whatever else. What's also hilarious about this um, uh, about this this deal is it ends still before the ACC's deal that they signed like four years ago. Yes. That's another great part of this. This isn't ultra long term. That's going to tie you down like the, yeah, the ACC's ACC one is. Had really, really, really messed up. Yeah, and, and so I really do wonder, especially if, let's say the Pac-12 does go with Amazon, and they don't have games on ESPN or Fox. It really does make you wonder if ESPN and Fox, because we've heard a lot about the networks orchestrating conference movement and conference realignment. At that point. If all the Pac-12 games are on a competitor of yours and none of them are on your network, you're saying, yeah, let's help you get those teams over in any way we can. Is this deal, is there enough money, financial stuff involved in this deal if you're Travis Goff to make you reconsider a Big Ten invitation? Not one bit. So this doesn't do anything for you? No, it's it's a nice story. You're making more than you were going to be with Texas and Oklahoma. But you know what that tells me? If Texas and Oklahoma were still in the conference, you might be making close to what some of those other leagues were making. There is still a sizable difference between if you're making $31 million per school off your TV revenue than in the Big Ten where it's going to be in the 60s to 70 millions from just the TV side of it, right? So basically, with all of the money added up again, like the Big 12 schools will be making around $50 million, the Big Ten ones with all of it added up might be making 100 there's a big enough difference there. So if the Big Ten sends you a letter and says, hey, what's up? Where do I sign up? When do I sign up? How do I sign up? All those questions. As soon as possible. So no, this doesn't change anything from that standpoint, I don't think. Um, if you do get invited by the Big Ten, you take it. But now we know the Big 12 seems to be well afloat. You're obviously in a better situation yeah. money-wise and with the contract the way it works than the ACC. We'll wait and see on the Pac-12. And then we'll wait and see what happens with based on what happens with the Pac-12, if any teams leave for the Big 12. Yeah, I mean, my big thing with Kansas has always been just make sure you're in a stable situation, which the Big 12 is definitely stable now. Like, they're not going anywhere, right? No. They might, they, might not, they might be slightly lower tier than the Big 12 or than the Big 10 and the SEC, but they're number three, right? Firmly number three at this point. They're yep. ahead of the ACC. Right? Yeah, yeah, they're definitely ahead of the ACC. The only question now is what does Amazon come into the Pac-12 and say, we'll give you $50 million per school per year. And then at that point, would you have some Big 12 teams saying, eh, I'll jump at the Pac-12? Or would you just say, okay, now both conferences are stabilized? Or what if Amazon goes, hey, looks like uh, you've run out of competitors to, to bid on the conference. 
ESPN and Fox are already with the Big 12 and, uh, you know, CBS is with the Big 10 or whatever it is. And we're going to lowball you now. I don't know what's going to happen there. But that's going to have the biggest – whatever Amazon does hey. or, or one of these streaming services with the Pac-12, that's going to have huge ripples on college football, especially now that the Big 12 is tied up. So that's kind of on the waiting game next. But yeah. I think you feel good where you're at right now after this comes out oh, for yeah. the Big 12. Oh, for sure, for sure. It wasn't like overwhelmingly large number of what like – the Big Ten or the SEC is going to be making. But, again, but it wasn't what Bob Bowlesby was predicting. No. Yeah, there were some articles. I, I know Bob like, Bowlesby was like, you're going to get $10 million yeah. a year. I, I think Stuart Mandel in The Athletic wrote that they were going to get $12 million per school per year. Like, okay. Yeah. okay, Not man. even close. Not even close. He's Nick Springer. Sure. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk hey, on I'll, FM 107 and 1320 KLWN. Uh, Nick Springer has officially joined the Big 12. David Lesky is going to join the show in less than 20 minutes from right now. KU football also landed a big-time commitment over the weekend. We'll talk about it next. Welcome back in. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and the Kansas City Royals have a new manager I don't know if I'm going to mispronounce the last name. So, uh, David Lesky, the first question we're going to have for David is a phonetic question. Matt Quattraro? How do you pronounce the last name, David? You, you nailed it. Yes. Quattraro. There we go. It, I did it. Um, it, it doesn't it, – it shouldn't work. The, the, the letters should not be in that order. But, but here we are, and he's got a three-year deal with an option. So – I guess we'll 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 get there. We'll figure it out. <laughs> well, he was the previous bench coach with the Tampa Bay Rays, who have obviously had a lot of success, and something similar that he'll have with the Royals is a lot of success with a lower payroll. What are your overall thoughts on the hire? Sounds like the team was was really enthralled with with the, what they were getting in him. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great hire. He's he's been um, one of the top candidates for the last couple couple hiring cycles. Um, uh, you know, he, he, he basically, he checks every box. I mean, he's, he's the, the only thing that I think you would, ideally, you would love to have a guy who's managed in the big leagues before, but is also in his first job, which is literally impossible. Um, but I, I think that, you know, if, if you'd love to have a little more managerial experience. Um, but again, you want a fresh guy, he's not going to have that. So um, tough to say, but he, he's, he's, got the analytics down. He's a great communicator, um, super detail oriented and organized, but also not to the point that people hate him <laughs> because you, you, you hear a lot of, um, a lot of great things about him from, from everybody in the game. It's not, not coaches, not players, not front office people to everybody. Um, so I, I think that that's a good sign. Um, but the players do seem to love him. Obviously, things are different when you're the assistant to when you're the guy. So, you know, he, he, he probably can't be exactly the same guy. But, um, yeah, I think it's uh, overall really good hire and, and symbolizes a, a very real change in the Royals that I think people maybe didn't necessarily trust was there when they promoted J.J. Piccolo. But I think that these last few weeks, and, and especially with the hire yesterday, has shown that things are very different. So do you think this is indicative that 
maybe they are willing to steer more into the analytics side of things? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that um, you don't hire somebody from the Rays if you want to be an old school organization. You just, you just don't. So, um, yeah, I think that that's, that's as clear a sign as anything that, that they've done, that this is, this is how they're, how they're moving. And I, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it's, it, you've got to find the edges. I mean, this, this goes back to Moneyball, of course, but if you're not going to spend $200 million or whatever, you're going to, you know, whatever the number is, you, you've got to be able to make that up in intelligence. And it's harder today even than it was a decade ago, five years ago, maybe. And you look around, the Dodgers are spending a ton of money and they're smarter than every other team. Astros spend a ton of money, and they're smarter than every other team. Plus, they cheat. No, maybe not. I don't know, but they did at one point. Um, the Yankees—they spend a lot of money, and they're smart. I mean, they're not on the level of the Dodgers and Astros, but I mean, these these high payroll teams are also advanced now, and so it becomes that much harder. And you kind of have to go in that direction if you're not going to carry a huge payroll where you can cover up mistakes that way. It's there's no other option. Yeah, I, I'll be really interested to see too with you know the analytics side of things. Obviously, a lot of managers have become uh, almost locker room watchers and and basically you know lineup givers from the front office, so to speak. Do you think that is the idea of what he could be? Yeah, I don't know at this point. Um, I get the impression that no, he he will. I, well, I get the impression from JJ that that's not exactly what they want. I think that they want to have more of a collaboration in the day to day, but I don't think they necessarily want to say you're going to hit this player here or whatever. Um, maybe it's strongly hinted that I don't know, but but I think that I think it's one of those things that um, they need to have more data going into their decision making, but not only data going into their decision making and. It'll be interesting to see because, I mean, think about the, the managerial tree here. Quattraro worked under Kevin Cash and under Terry Francona as well before this as, an, as a hitting coach in Cleveland. Cash worked under Francona as their bullpen coach before he became the Rays manager. Um, and so you, you look at Terry Francona and you feel like, I don't know that he necessarily is 100% analytics. I think that it's, hey, I've been in this game a long time. It's, 80% analytics or 70, it doesn't matter what the number is, but it's, it's not, not all in on the analytics side. And then you look at Kevin Cash, and I think that, I think there was a turning point for him because it seems like it hasn't been all analytics for him either since taking Blake Snell out of that game in, in the 2020 World Series, which is not a long time ago. But I, I mean, I think about, I think about a particular start against the Royals or a game against the Royals. Chris Bubich started, um, for the Royals that day against the Rays, and Bubich had had no problem with right-handed bats. He was getting them out. Um, lefties were the ones that were hitting him, and Cash loaded his lineup with right-handed bats. And I, I sent out a tweet that day. I said, look, Kevin Cash is a great manager, and he does stuff like this. Just remember that when the Royals hire whoever they hire because managers will do things that, you, that annoy you. And, and it worked, obviously, because Chris Bubich couldn't get anybody out for a, a good chunk of the season. But it that, that went against the analytics. And so I think that that showed that, okay, maybe Kevin Cash has, has figured some things out too that, that go 
go that direction. And so you look at the guys who Quattrara's worked for, and they, they aren't 100% that way. Um, but the important thing is they both understand it and they understand why it's there. And and that that's where Quattrara will excel. Um, and, and hopefully he can... He can put, he can turn the Royals into the Rays in, in a lot of ways. I think that I don't think anybody would complain too much about that, except for you know, the Rays haven't won anything. But you know, maybe maybe Quattrall can be the guy to, to bring the Royals farther than the Rays. I guess <laughs> we're still waiting on a new pitching coach to be announced announced for uh, the Royals. What, what do you think the timeline for that is going to be? And with the success that the Rays have had as far as pitching, I mean, I don't know how much of that you, you really uh, attribute to the bench coach, but he was he was around a system that worked and, and everything for the Rays. Does that give you more optimism about the hire that, that's going to be had there? Um, yeah, I think to answer that first, I think, yeah, it does. It, because Matt Quattraro has been in situations both in Cleveland and Tampa, even though he's been on the hitting side and the bench coach um, and third base coach for a year in Tampa, he has seen how it works. He has seen people who work, who do it well, people who work with young, young pitching, all that. So he at least has a Rolodex that, um, that can be, that can be useful. Um, as far as the timeline, I, I think it can be probably quicker than maybe most might think, because I, I can't imagine the interviews, the interview process was all about just managing. I would have guessed that JJ Piccolo said, Hey, who, give me some people you'd bring in as pitching coach if you were hired. And I, I'm guessing they've done some betting in the interim saying, okay, well, we really like this guy, this guy, and this guy. So let's, let's look at their pitching coaches. Um, so I, I would think that that would get started pretty quickly. The, the question that I keep having is, and I've written about this a couple of times, I've heard that they are willing or at least considering a structure where there's somebody over the entire organization and then a pitching coach. And the name I've heard for the pitching czar or whatever you want to call it is Brian Bannister, um, which I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But my question that I, I don't have an answer to is, would they be willing to use that structure with a different person than Bannister? Um, I don't know who it would be. Maybe they could lure Tommy Hottavy back as, as the head of pitching. He's the pitching coach for the Cubs right now. Um, and then hire another pitching coach. I don't know the answer to that, but that's kind of interesting too. And then if that's the case, you probably hire that guy first, and then he's part of the process with Quattraro and J.J. Piccolo to, to pick the new day-to-day pitching coach. So uh, there's some questions to be answered there, but I I don't know. I mean, I don't think you're going to get an answer on Thursday at the press conference. Um, but let's see, the World Series right now, we'll see about how rainouts go. For the World Series right now, is scheduled to end on um, Saturday night at the latest. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we hear. Maybe we get a pitching coach next week, early next week. Um, I, I, I think it's possible. I, I don't. I'm not sure I'd predict it, but I think it's certainly possible. We, we. I think we'll. I think we'll know within the next two weeks. I'll say that, but it could be even sooner than that. Talking with David Lesky of Inside the Crown here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, uh, shifting gears over to some some free agency stuff. What is the most or, I don't know, whether it's money or, or just the best player that is going to be available in free agency that you think realistically you could expect the Royals to be in on? Um, you know, it kind of depends on – they're not going to spend big. They've said that. Um, depends on what not big 
means, honestly, because if it means mid-level contract, then I think the guy you're looking at, and he'll be liked by a lot of teams. So it, it's hard to uh, <laughs> it, it, it's hard to say the Royals can get him. But Chris Bassett, I think, makes quite a bit of sense. Um, doesn't walk guys, all that stuff. If if Bassett is going somewhere else, um, and I'm assuming here that Zach Grinke's either a Royal or retiring. Um, well, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, I think you're looking at somebody like a Jamison Tyon. Um, and, yeah, it's going to be starting pitchers. <laughs> I mean, Tyon, uh, Sean Manaya, maybe. Um, I wrote about Nathan Eovaldi the other day. He could be a guy who – who makes some sense. I think Mike Clevenger makes some sense. Somebody in that range. Um, and you're looking at a maximum, probably three years, 36 to 42 million, somewhere in there. So not, I mean, crazy money in real terms, but not crazy money in baseball terms. Um, I think, I think those are the guys you're kind of eyeballing and in, in, in what the Royals are willing to do. Is there a, a small move free agent that you keep coming around to that whether it's it's someone who you think could be, I don't know, let go as far as non-tendering or somebody who you think maybe is flying a bit under the radar, maybe had an injury, down season, whatever it is, that you just keep coming back to and you're like, that guy is a Kansas City Royal? <laughs> well, anybody who, um, who you think stinks. No, I'm just kidding. I, I think that's... <laughs> That's different than than it, uh, <laughs> than it used to be. I, I think that, especially with the hiring of Quattraro, one name that I keep coming back to is Yanni Chirinos, who um, is with the Rays. He, I always think his, he's funny because, for whatever reason, I always think he's left-handed until I look him up. I'm like, oh, right, he's right-handed. Um, but he, he's a guy who hasn't thrown a ton of innings. He's been super injured. Um, the Rays don't like to pay guys to, to rehab. Um Unless they know that he's going to come back, and he's only thrown like 18 innings the last couple of seasons, it just feels like he's always been pretty solid. He could be a nice swing guy for a team that could use starters and relievers. Um, won't cost very much money. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't see a ton of downside in giving that a shot. I think that if you're, if you're spending a little bit more money, Eric Lauer probably be a trade um, with the Brewers, but they tend to. And move on from guys when they start to make real money. And so I think that, that Lauer, he's projected at about $5 million, um in arbitration this season. I think he's a guy they could, they could target. Again, it's starting pitchers. <laughs> I think that when you look at the Royals' offseason plan, it's pitching, then more pitching, then more pitching after that. And then once they feel like they've got all that pitching, more pitching. Do you think there there's any players in danger on the Royals of being non-tendered? Uh, there should be. Um, <laughs> we already saw Luke Weaver get waived, so he didn't even get. Non- he didn't have a chance to get non-tendered. He was just let go. Um, I think if you look at who is um, eligible for arbitration, I think Barlow, Bubich, Clark, Nicky Lopez, and Brady Singer. I think those are the guys who aren't going to get non-tendered. I would be very surprised if Josh Stamont did at this point. Um, one bad season, one injury season doesn't, unless they know something. Um, anybody else, though? Amir Garrett, um, Brad Keller, I think, is a big time candidate. Ryan O'Hearn. Um, I think those guys, they shouldn't get too comfortable in Kansas City. <laughs> I feel like 
know, Brad Keller at um, at that seven million, I think it is, arbitration cost. Um, hard to hard to pay him that. It's hard to pay him that, given that the transition to the bullpen didn't look good either. So I think as far as the highest profile, I think he's the guy who is a the highest profile non tender candidate. But Amir Garrett's up there. I think that he. You know, you, you liked a lot of what you saw, but you disliked a lot of what you saw. Too many walks. Um, and it was sometimes tough to watch him because he just wasn't throwing strikes. So those are the guys to me who I think have the best shot to be non-tendered. But um, yeah, I, it, it's hard to know for sure just because we know what Dayton Moore's Royals would have done. We don't know what these Royals are going to be like. So there's a little bit of uncertainty. Um, but I think those, those guys are at the biggest risk. What about with the 40-man roster coming up and the Rule 5 draft and everything? Is there anything of note from either the Royals' side or, or maybe somebody that you're kind of keeping an eye on with, with other teams in terms of maybe somebody the Royals can pluck from the Rule 5? Yeah, it's interesting. I haven't, I haven't gone through like I usually do yet just to, to pick, so I don't, I don't really know about the other teams so much. But the Royals have some decisions to make. And Alex Marsh, um, TJ Sikama, who they got from the Yankees as part of the Benintendi trade, um, Samad Taylor, who came from the Merrifield deal, he needs to be added this year. What's interesting is they didn't do the Rule 5 draft last year. And so there's a lot of players who were eligible. Samad Taylor is one of them, by the way. Um, a lot of players who were eligible and never had a chance to even be picked and now are still eligible. <laughs> so teams have to make those decisions. So um, there, this year's draft seems like it'll be a little bit um, – heavier in talent, I think, just because of uh, of all of that. And, and you know, there's only so many roster spots. There's 1,200, which sounds like a lot um, until you realize that there's 14 non-big leaguers in every in every team. So it's down to, what is that, 420 of, of them. So it, it's um, there, there's going to be some really good players, uh, really good, but solid players available in that Rule 5. And I, I just need to get into it and, and, and see who else is on some other teams. But the Royals have decisions to make, too, and, and you know, they, they're they at a full roster right now. Um, if they cut down the four guys I mentioned, and that's it, and then add the three guys I mentioned, well, they only have room for one free agent now, one tray, whatever that might be. So they, they've got some work to do. There is The 40-man roster is going to look pretty different, I think, Um if we talk after the winter meetings or something, I think it'll be a pretty different look to that roster than, than what it is today. Well, the World Series heading to Game 3 tonight. I do want to get your your prediction for the rest of how the series goes, but uh, what lessons do you think that the teams who did make the World Series this year with the Astros and the Phillies are going to give us about roster construction or team building moving forward? Well, I think you, know, you look at the Astros, and they're just so good. They don't get enough credit for their pitching. They really don't. They, they pitch so well, and it's, it's easy to, to kind of laugh at that because of how they gave up that lead in game one. But they are just really, really good from top to bottom. Um, and part of the reason why I'll give, I'll give you my prediction within this answer, I think the Astros win it in six. Um, part of why that is, I just don't think the Phillies can compete beyond their top two starters. And, and it's the Astros' three and four starters, are better than the Phillies three and four starters. It's as simple as that. The Astros three and four starters are better than most than a lot of teams one and two, honestly. And that that's what makes them so good. And so I think what, what you're the Astros might 
actually be kind of bringing the starting pitcher back into style a little bit because of the way they where they pitch. And, and I think that that's a good thing for the game of baseball in general. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what you take from the Phillies other than that if you can go get stars, get them because they tend to come up big. Yeah, they don't, they're not in the World Series without Bryce Harper. Um, Nick Castellanos, he has had a terrible year for them, obviously, but they lose that game if he doesn't make that catch in right field on on Friday night. Kyle Schwarber has been huge for them. I mean, they Castellanos isn't a superstar. Schwarber's probably not a superstar, but they're stars in in some ways. And I, you know, I think that it's the whole um, the 2015 Royals approach of 25 now 26 guys playing together. I think really works for some teams, but hey, it doesn't hurt to have Bryce Harper. It doesn't hurt to have that guy who can who can come up big in any situation and and do basically whatever you need of him. So I, I think that that's a takeaway. Um, but I think more than anything, it's really how good starting pitching can benefit you uh, throughout the entire season and postseason. What is your World Series prediction from here on? Um. Yeah, I got the Astros in six, so I think that, that tonight's weather is really interesting. I don't, I don't, I haven't seen a a call yet if they're going to play or not. If they get postponed, <laughs> that is huge for the Phillies. I mean, just absolutely massive because they they might be able to push it to a game seven. Um, but I, I think the Astros take three of the next four, and and they're celebrating at home on whatever night, whatever night game game six is that being played. That's when they celebrate. He is David Lesky. Check out all his work inside the crown. One hour down, two to go. David, appreciate all the time as always, man. Yep, thanks, Eric. All right, that was David Lesky. Again, check out his work inside the crown. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I got to get out of here. I think I'm going to lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. How much does it calm down? Look around you. With Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. Welcome in to our 4 o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk in our case of the Mondays. Looking for a perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering? Venue 1235 has you covered. Located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Venue 1235, a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. With Nick Springer, Derek Johnson here. Let's get into another edition of our Case of the Mondays. Uh, first up, Twitter verifies. Because if you got the blue check mark, you're going to have to pay a pretty price to keep it that way. Elon Musk, who now owns Twitter, is going to be charging $20 per month to have the blue check mark. Man, do you remember? That's uh, pricey. It's <clears throat> less for like Netflix. Do you remember when it was like kind of cool to be like the non-verified bad boys of yeah. Twitter? <laughs> and that kind of went away. Is that coming back now? Is it, gonna be, I, is it gonna be cool to be not verified? I kind of think it's going to maybe less of that. I, I mean, sort of. I think it's just going to be not cool to be verified because people are just gonna know you paid for it. Yes. Like it's no longer a situation where 
it's like, oh man, you got verified, like good for you. It's it's going to be a well, what a loser. He's paying yeah, twenty dollars like, a no, month you to have a verif- blue check mark. You got verified because you're important. Yes. No, now it's just you got verified because you're yeah shilling out money. And there's going to be people who do it. And then there's also going to be, I'm sure there will be certain companies, like certain media companies, where that's going to start being like, hey, part of your contract, we're bringing you on. We're going to pay for you to be verified because it's good okay. for us. You know where this could be dangerous, though? Hmm. You know how people on Twitter will, will create fake accounts of public accounts, but then they'll oh, try to make ways to make them look verified. Yeah. Tweet stuff. Now they can actually now be just, verified. Now you can just pay for that it. That is dangerous. just change your name to Joe Biden yeah. or change your name to Adam Schefter or change yeah. your name to... You know, whoa. So it'll still be like at Brett McMurfa instead yeah, of Murphy. But it'll have the, it'll have the blue check mark. Yes. It'll let you can you can. Oh gosh, do this is going to be major problem. Um, and also, you're <laughs> right. Like I can, if I just want to be verified one month, I can be like, you know what, this month I'm doing a bunch of stuff. I'm going to be verified, and then I'm going to stop. Oh yeah, trip. That's interesting. Yeah, because you know, like right now, like you can get baited by like Adorn Schefter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now it'll be actually it'll say Adam Schefter yeah. with the blue check mark and you'll think wow this is legit. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like it at all. I do think it's funny though as someone who's not verified. I, I do think it's funny because you do see a lot of people on Twitter who are verified that you're like why are you verified or how did you get verified? Or people who are verified that like think it's like it makes them special. Yes. And, like, and who I'm verified. And I'm not. Uh, there's a lot of people I know who are verified and like they, they don't make it a big deal well, no, or they also. I don't want to. I don't want to do like I know. I hate all verified Twitter users. Yes, that, that's basically what I'm trying to cover up here. Like, no, there's a lot of people who, who yeah, deserve, oh, no, it, yeah, deserve to have yeah, it or whatnot. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be objectively funny to see the people now who are like who care that much about being verified that they're paying twenty dollars a month, unless the company's paying for it. I ain't touching that. <laughs> no need for me. Waste of money. Like I said, you can. You can get, like, HBO Max for cheaper than that. I'd rather watch that. Uh, Case of the Mondays for Dusty Baker, the manager of the Astros. It is one-to-one, so it's not like the end of the world, but he's got to be feeling some major PTSD. So they were up 5 nothing in Game 1 to the Philadelphia Phillies. Dusty Baker, the manager for the Houston Astros, they lost the game. And the last time that a team lost a five-run lead in a World Series game, was 2002 when the Giants did it against the Angels and Dusty Baker was the manager. That's just such bad luck. I know. Like, how often do you see that happen? And and Dusty Baker's been to, I want to say, maybe five or six World Series. He's never won one. He just, he can't. Because he took the Rangers to one, right? No, that was uh, Joe Washington, I oh. want to say. He was with the Giants in 02. I couldn't remember if he went or not with the Nationals, but he had some good teams that at least went to, like, the CS. Astros, this is, like, his third or fourth trip with them. So, I mean, he's been to a handful. You would think you would eventually win one. Maybe he'll win this one. Certainly think he's got a good shot, even though it is one-to-one, but feel bad for him a little bit. Tough. Yeah. Uh, Justin Verlander, by the way, he's having a case of the Mondays. I mean, a guy that... Is, is kind is of he, in the, is he the new Clayton Kershaw. It is, yeah. It's the Clayton Kershaw thing. Um, the career World Series ERAs for Justin Verlander because this is his fifth World Series that he's pitched in. He had a 5.73 World Series ERA in 2006. He had an 11.25 ERA in the World Series in 2012. He had a 3.75 in 2017. So that was the best of the bunch. A 5.73 in 2019 and a 9 in 2022. He is 0-6 in eight starts in the World Series. And this is weird because the Clayton Kershaw thing like spans every round of the playoffs where 
he hasn't been like a horrible pitcher in the playoffs. But remember, but I think when the Dodgers won the World Series, he kind of broke that, right? He, he did of- a little bit, but like Clayton Kershaw, his thing is just, it's it's to expectations. Like Clayton Kershaw, his career postseason ERA is like four point five, which like overall is like that's an average ERA. But when you take the guy who has been one of the greatest regular season pitchers of our lifetime, yeah. and then now he's an average pitcher, that's a big drop off. The thing that's weird about Justin Verlander is he's actually still been good in like the divisional round and the championship series. But for whatever reason, the World Series, he's been horrible. Just can't pitch in the World Series. No. And now they had him set up that he pitched game five, and then he's going to probably have to pitch game four game or, or game one. He's going to have to pitch game four or game five. Maybe they're just like, yeah, we'll skip your start. <laughs> Not worth it. So I don't know what's going on. They do with have a lot of good series. starters. They could just yeah, say, they do. Eh. You're a closer now. Case of the Mondays for Brian Harson, the okay. head coach for I Auburn. Actually, I no disagree longer. with this one. He should, he's not having Case of the Mondays. He's having a case of whatever his happiness is. Okay, so Case of the Mondays for the Auburn booster who had to write the check. Yes. Okay. Uh, he has paid a big buyout to leave. Auburn has now in total paid $37 million in buyouts over the last 687 days for football coaches. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. Brian Harsh so, yeah. is going to get like $15 million for being so, a bad yeah. SEC coach. I think you're right. He's got to be happy. He makes a lot of happy. money. He'll still land on his feet. He's like fine. He, yeah, he's, you know, he could, yeah. He'll go back to like Boise State or yeah, be exactly. their offensive coordinator. He'll Great. get a middling, like, you know, Mac job or, or whatever. And he'll be just fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the boosters continue to pay a lot. How long before we see Lance Leipold's name pop up on a short list of candidates for the job? Oh, boy. I we see know. it for every big job. I'm not well, saying okay. it would be, I don't well, know. No, again. To circle back to this, which we discussed earlier, like it, it was really unfortunate that the only two positions that Lance Leipold would have considered, like you know, his dream job or like jobs that he had connections to, were Nebraska yeah. and Wisconsin. Auburn, and is those not were that. the only two ones that came open, right? Like we had this discussion at the beginning of the season, like if Michigan had fired Jim Harbaugh, Lance Leipold was not going to be on the list of coaches for Michigan, right? It just so happened that it was Nebraska and Wisconsin, two places that either he's from Wisconsin. And has was a has a connection there, and he's and he you know lived in Nebraska had a connection there also right, mm-hmm. so that was just really the unfortunate thing about Lance Leipold, but Auburn also stay away. Yeah, I to be clear, I don't think this would happen. I I don't see it being like Auburn likes to go for the the splashy, sexy hires. Lane, which, Lance Leipold's a great football coach, but yes, you're right. It'd Lane be like Lane Kiffin. Kiffin. Come on, Although down. that'd be kind of weird if he left for Ole Miss for for Auburn. Man, um, I mean Lane Kiffin, he, dude, he he's a that dude could do anything. He's a loose cannon. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't really be that surprising. Um, I I do think, though, we will see like articles pop out that's like, who are people they should call? Who's on the short list? He'll be on there, whether it's actually something that happens or not. Just in terms of like the media speculation of like, oh, well. But KU's lost three games now, so no one cares about him anymore. That's right. It is funny how that works. It's uh, how quickly you can work from like being the, the number the one candidate darling. for every job to all of a sudden like, yeah, yeah, he's a good candidate, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Gonzaga basketball is feeling a case of the Mondays. We've actually got a couple teams here. Just some college basketball teams who had scrimmages or normally it's secret scrimmages. Were these secret scrimmages? or were No, these? these were actually like they have. Remember they had the KU Missouri exhibition game? Yeah. Which was essentially a scrimmage. But if you're doing it for, um, I think, charity. Yeah. You like, can they're still, supposed to like raise money for a Yes. Yeah, so yeah. if you're raising money for a cause, you can like televise it and have people come in. It's just the money has to go to that cause. Yeah. So that's basically instead of the secret scrimmage. Gonzaga um, got just absolutely housed by Tennessee 
in an exhibition game that was on television and for people to watch. Wow. And Tennessee's thought of to be pretty good this year, but I don't know that anybody has them in like the top five or anything like that. Now, I will say, Gonzaga got blown out by Alabama last year. It's Didn't just matter. an exhibition. Yeah. They ended up being the number one overall seed yeah. in the tournament. So I don't know what to make of that. Maybe it just means Tennessee's really good. You know, it's an exhibition game. So obviously the coaches are going to like not run all their stuff and are going to try out a bunch of different lineups that they may never do during the regular season. Here's some other teams, though, who could be of interest in the uh, exhibition stuff over the weekend. Texas beat Arkansas, who is a preseason top 5 to 10 team, depending where you look, by 30 in a charity exhibition. Not sure who that speaks more to. Yikes. Maybe a little bit of both. I mean, it's uh, Arkansas has got all these new players and freshmen and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Louisville. They lost to a D2. Yeah, like not or, a good wait. D2 either. Okay. Like there was the there was the screenshot going around of Syracuse. They were down by they like were a certain down to amount. The Indiana University, yes, of Pennsylvania, of Pennsylvania, yes. But little did people know that Syracuse won that game by eighteen, and they were just down at one point. And they also, were down like at halftime. They were, but they won by eighteen. And the team they played, I get it is a D two team, but the team they played was like a top five team that brought back all five of their starters. They went like twenty nine and two the year before. So like, okay, so they were, and they won no. by eighteen. So it's not that big of a deal. But okay. this is bad. Louisville lost to Lenore Rhine, fifty seven to forty seven. And Lenore, Lenore who? Is, Lenore who? This is this D two team. This is not one of those cases where it's like they were an undefeated D two. No, this was like a middling D two team. Where's Lenore Rhine? Lenore I have Ryan no idea. Located. Let's see. I have to assume they're probably in Kentucky or near Kentucky, right? It's in North Hickory, North Carolina. Oh. I have an acceptance rate of 77%. The graduation wow. rate of just 50%. What's their mascot? Mm, I don't know. Okay. Let's make up a mascot. What should their mascot name they be? They should be the Lenore Ryan. They should be the Rhinos. Come on. Oh, I love that. The Lenore Ryan Rhinos. And they're the Bears. Boo. I like your idea better. I'm just going to refer to them as the Rhinos from now on. So the Rhinos. The Rhinos. Beating the Cardinals. Cardinals. Sorry. Hopefully nobody that listens to the show is like a proud Lenore Ryan alum. <laughs> they call and they be like, hey, yeah, stop disrespecting my Bears. No, you know what? You deserve it. You should be the Rhinos. It's right there. It is uh, right there. Come on. Case of the Mondays, anyone who spent time watching the Miami-Virginia college football game over the weekend. Oh, that was brutal. It went to four overtimes. Okay, this is, like, so brutal that it's good. You is I mean? it? Yes, It went I to so. four overtimes. 14 to 12. And it still ended 14 to 12. There was not a single touchdown in the game. Six to six in regulation. There were no turnovers either, so it's not like it was just a disastrous just masterpiece. They were just bad. They just couldn't move the ball. Disgusting. Uh, Case no, of the Monday. I, I, I think it's it it's got to be so bad it's kind of good. No, I think that's I would have get on board with that if it was a game where it was like eleven turnovers and it was just like <laughs> what is happening here? That's just neither team team could do it when it's just Gross. three and out, three and out, Gross. three and out, three and out. Yeah, you're not. You're not I don't want to see that. that. Turn, that you're going to commercial between every punt. That doesn't do anything Gross. for you. Uh, Case of the Mondays for Denny Hamlin. Okay, let me explain this to you. I don't. I'm going to try do. to explain this as best as I can. So uh, the NASCAR has their playoffs, and the way they do the playoffs is they have sixteen, you have sixteen drivers, and then they do like three races, and then after the three races, they cut four. Then there's twelve. Then they cut four. Then there's eight. Then they cut four, and then there's the four remaining drivers that are racing for the championship. Okay. So yesterday at Martinsville, it was 
the elimination race to go from eight drivers to four drivers. Okay? And at the end of the race, Denny Hamlin was the in the fourth position in the points, and he was going to be the fourth driver in to race for the championship. A driver named Ross Chastain was in the fifth position, so he was right behind Denny Hamlin in the standings. On the track, he was like three, four spot, three or four spots behind Denny Hamlin. And on the last lap of the race, Martinsville's a small, it's a small track, very small, with really sharp turns. On the last lap of the race, in a last-ditch effort to try to pass Denny Hamlin, Ross Chastain decided to absolutely floor his car, just full gun it, and rail ride around the wall, ride on the wall, like he slammed into the wall and rode around the wall all the way, using his speed and just flooring it, oh and passed Denny Hamlin at the line to knock him out of the playoffs and Ross Chastain's going through. It's, I mean, I don't think I did a good enough job explaining You have to go find a video if you can. Uh, of what he did. It's absolutely unprecedented. It's never before been seen. It's like things that it's like something that I would have done racing like NASCAR 06 <laughs> when I was like 10, right? You just floor it and ride uh. around the wall and pass the guy. It's it's an incredible story. <clears throat> it's it's you know, it's crazy. It's absolutely insane. And so for Denny Hamlin to 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 get knocked out of the playoffs like that, he's got to be feeling it this morning today. Oh my gosh, I love it. So yeah, that. if you can, if if you have an opportunity on Twitter, you can definitely find the video of what of what he did, I mean, it's like like you won't even believe what he did. It's it's insane. He literally on the on the back stretch of the last lap, he just floored it at, at top speed and rode around the wall and used his momentum of riding around the wall and passed him at the line. Incredible. I love it. I love it. Okay, last one on case of the Mondays: tired goat arguments. No more LeBron versus MJ, Brady versus Montana, whatever. The real goat among all sports is Pat Hoberg. Pat Holberg was the umpire for Game 2 of the World Series in the Houston Astros game. 129 called pitches. All of them were 100% accurate. How about Boom. that? No, give me the, the, perfect give me game. the uh, rollerblading limbo lady. Come yeah, did on. you see this, too? Yes. This was all over social media. The lady uh, that like, media. turned herself into a... I don't even know Apparently how Apparently, there's, there's rollerblading limbo, and this lady does like the well, splits yeah, while it, she's it, going it under... Like, like, it looks like her it's six inches tall, it maybe. Like I don't know. Broken her legs. Yeah, check out that video. Like, that doesn't too. make any sense. Those are the goats of the week, or no, forever, forever and ever. Yeah, it's it's that was a wild video. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That is Case of the Mondays. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Joined now by Brock McGinnis, the director of player personnel. For the KU women's basketball team, Derek Johnson and Nick Springer here for Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Uh, so, Brock, you, you as the director of player personnel, also in charge of some of the scheduling stuff, uh, talk to me, what are, what are some of the biggest tasks, what are some of the biggest roles that, that a director of player personnel does for the team? Well, you know, for me, uh, I do a ton of video work, uh, a ton of scouting of opponents, a ton of uh, self scouting, you know, after games, all the analytics. Uh, try to be the right hand man to everybody on the staff, just making their life a little bit easier. Any chance I can get. How much of the position um, is dealing with the because the player personnel side, you know, dealing with, I don't know, trying to scout the transfer portal or help out in recruiting and, and those sorts of things in, in developing a roster? Yeah, you know, it's a good chunk of it. Um, you know, I, 
everything I do recruiting wise is really on campus, um, either before they get here or while the, the prospects are here. Uh, you know, just watching film, getting stats of them, uh, you know, just different things like that. So that, that when they get here, we have a really good idea of their skill set, what they do on the basketball court, uh, just different things like that with, you know, with Brandon or with, with Morgan, making sure that they've got everything they need. And has that changed drastically or, or at all over the past few years with kind of the rampant nature of the transfer portal? Yeah, uh, that's one of those things that when I got here, you know, the you still had to sit out a year when I got to Kansas. And then as that's kind of changed and and the portals become more and more of really everybody's focus across the country, that, you know, it, it's something you check all the time, more so in the spring, you know, after seasons are over with, it seems like you could refresh it every two to three minutes and there's going to be another 10 or 15 names in there. So it, it's something that, you know, we, we just make sure that we're always a part of and always on top of the, the portal and, and trying to improve our roster and the program the best we can. We're talking with Brock McGinnis, the director of player personnel, also in charge of some of the scheduling stuff for the KU women's basketball team. How how does the scheduling side of things come about? Like, how, how long of a process does this take? Is it something that's taken all year? Is it something that... You know, you you do over buckle down over the course of a couple of weeks or a month or something like that. Take me through the kind of the process of of the scheduling side. The first thing you know we try to do here, and it usually starts. I usually meet with Brandon, you know, first week of September or so. But we really try to make sure we get our our holiday tournament pinned down, and you know, how many games are we going to play in that? Some some are two, some three, some are three games that only count as two. You know, it, so it's, once we get that done and we see how many games that actually counts as, uh, we kind of move on, you know, from there, do as many home and homes as we can. You know, as the as the team's gotten better, it's one of those deals that, you know, you, you can go call a lot of different people to fill your schedule out. You know, a lot of – some people won't come play in Allen Fieldhouse, which is, is wild to me. They just – you know, they don't, they don't want to come. They don't want to see it. They don't want to – they won't play a game against us. Uh, we had multiple Power Five teams over the last year tell us they don't want any part of playing us, um, which is good to hear. You know, you, you don't always get to hear that from people, but they, we thought we had a deal done with the Big Ten team, and they backed out the last minute. So we had to go. We scrambled. And that's when uh, Texas A&M kind of fell into our lap. And so it, getting them on the schedule is good. And the last thing we kind of really focus on is just the – the guarantee games we'll play. Um, you know, the number of guarantee games we play, we'll play this year. Next year is really going to go down. Uh, we're trying to find more home and homes with with really good mid-major or other Power 5 programs. Well, I'm curious from the, I guess, net ranking perspective of how that has had an impact on you know, college basketball on the men's side. Is there a net as well on the women's side, or, or is that still using RPI? Uh, what kind of factors do you use to, to try to put together the best schedule possible to, to maximize whatever seed KU could possibly be in the NCAA tournament? Yeah, we, uh, we use the net ranking just like the men do. Uh, you know, a lot of it depends on who you play, where you play them, you know, different things like that. You know, then of course there's, I'm not a big fan of it, but they throw a margin of victory in there. Um, and I think that 
make some people do some things in games they wouldn't normally do. But, you know, when margin of victory is a part of the formula that, that can determine if you get to host games in the NCAA tournament or not, then when you get a chance to really beat somebody, you got to go out and take care of business against them. We're talking with Brock McGinnis here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Is there a road trip uh, of a visiting arena that, that you're most excited for this season or, or that maybe would be, I don't know, in the future, like the, the white whale, the one that you would love to, to schedule and, and set up a, a road trip for? Uh, you know, this year I think I'm really looking forward to the, uh, the trips to Nebraska. You know, growing up in Kansas, you know, Nebraska was always one that you wanted. It didn't matter what sport it was, one you always wanted to go, go get. And you know, having the ability to go back to a to a uh, an arena like that, renew an old rivalry will be great for us. As far as going somewhere specific, I'm uh, I'm pretty historical. I think if we could get a game in Hinkle Fieldhouse, I would love it. I would that would be uh, that'd be one that's on the bucket list. Yeah, that's certainly uh, a, a lot of fun there. Um... You you played basketball at Ottawa University. What's your background with the sport, and and what made you want to kind of stick around after you were done uh, with the Braves, kind of in in a different role? Uh, to be honest, the the biggest thing that that really changed my mind was Coach Carrier. Uh, when I graduated high school, my goal was to go get a PE degree. You know, be the the gym teacher and coach everything you could at the high school level. Um, the more and more time I spent around Coach Carrier, he kind of started putting some bugs in my ear. Hey, you know, maybe you should give college a shot. Have you thought about it? You know, that I think it'd be something you'd be really good at. Um, so then I, you know, as he did that a little bit more and more, I decided, I, you know, I'll give it a shot. Uh, went to Oklahoma State and worked with Travis Ford on the men's side as a graduate assistant. Uh, and that's where I really decided, you know, yeah, yeah, this is what I want to do. You know, I want to be at the college level. Um, it's just something that the challenge of that has always been intriguing to me ever since coach started throwing that in my ear, and, you know, just having the love of the game and the ability to help other people as they continue to mature in life and has been something that's been awesome to me. And you were the video coordinator at Oklahoma State, Allen Community College, the Toronto Raptors, all things that you did before you came to Kansas. Do you have any fun stories from from working in the NBA for a season or or with the Toronto Raptors? Nothing too crazy. Uh, I was actually I was actually living in Oklahoma when I worked for him. Uh, technology at that point had developed enough to where I never had I've never been to Toronto. Strangely enough, <laughs> uh, just worked worked for him for a year. Uh, I went to training camp with him, and uh, on my way to training camp, I'm, I checked the wrong box in my customs form and thought I was going to be stuck in Vancouver for a little bit longer than <laughs> I actually was. I awesome. had a lot of questions. Those Canadian customs officers had a lot of questions for me. <laughs> Well, you made it through in the end. Um, what's your favorite thing to do away from a basketball court when you when you get a little time to yourself? Uh, in the off season, hit the golf course. I am a terrible golfer, but much like everybody else that plays the game, there's always that one or two shots that that keep you coming back. Yeah. Uh, you know, during the season, 
I really like to do a whole lot of nothing when I'm not in the office. I'll go sit, sit on the couch and do absolutely nothing at all. Uh, that's, that's my release during the season. Love it. Well, Brock, appreciate the time. Good luck this season, and uh, thanks for sharing some time out of your day. Thanks, Derek. Brock Trot. That was Brock McGinnis, the Director of Player Personnel for the KU Women's Basketball Team, joining us here on our Monday Conversations with the KU Women's Team. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, switch gears a little bit, our NFL Monday overreactions. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to play for you the Lance Leipold audio. He met with the media earlier today. We'll have that for you coming up at 5. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on your Halloween final day of October here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. And it is a Monday, meaning it's time to overreact to what happened in the NFL yesterday with our NFL Monday Overreactions. All right, got some more good ones cooked up for you, Derek. Mm. First one. This is interesting because even though the Bears technically got blown out, Justin Fields looked pretty good. So, Justin Fields turning the corner, and he will end up being good. Wow. Um, I can kind of buy this. I was watching some of that that game, and yes, I know they lost by like 20 points or something, yep, but like he was pretty efficient against what I view to be one of the, the five best defenses in the NFL and the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, completed 74% of his passes, 151 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, ran for a lot more. And yes, the yards are not gaudy, but it just, they're not really letting him throw a ton, which maybe that does tell you that they don't trust him fully and that maybe I shouldn't trust him fully. Or maybe that's just the Bears don't really know what to do here with with a uh, kind of young quarterback. But this is kind of back-to-back weeks with the Patriots game, which that one was a lot of what he just did running the ball. And now this game against the Cowboys where I came away going, yeah, that was uh, pretty impressive. Well, the biggest issue for Justin Fields, again, is I couldn't even name two receivers that the Bears no, have. It's very hard. <laughs> I mean, I mean, come on, man. Get this guy some help, at least. So yeah, he like, can at least figure out if he's good or not. It's like Darnell Mooney and Nikhil Harry, who couldn't make it with the Patriots, and Equinemius St. Brad. Like, that's that's not a good receiver. That's, that's probably the worst receiving core in the NFL. Nikhil Harry's rookie year with the Patriots, I was so confident that he was going to be good. I drafted him for my fantasy team and like, you know, late, you know, it was one of those picks where it was like, you know, late ninth, tenth round, like this guy's going to be so good, right? <laughs> and then he just was terrible. Yeah. Well, now he's like the Bears number three. Um, I, I, I think he is starting to turn a corner a little bit. Will he be good? I know that's kind of a vague way of putting it. Like it's not yeah. saying he's yeah. going to be the best, which like, I don't think he Could he lead the Bears be. to the playoffs in the next I think so. two or three years? I think so. Okay. I like what I've seen. Now it does take a little bit of manufacturing. It's, it's sort of like with Lamar Jackson and whatnot, like they, they've adapted the offense to him running the football. And it seems like that's what they're doing here for Justin Fields. And you could say, well, that's a bit of a gimmick, but it's worked for Lamar Jackson all these years and he's dynamic at it. Not saying Justin Fields is that, but I I don't think that you just view, oh, they're running all these QB runs. Well, that will never work sustained wise. Like, no, the Ravens have shown that, that it can. So yeah, I, I think he will be a uh, good-ish, I guess. All right. This has been kind of an ongoing, like, Thing, discussion for a while, but uh, it's it's bubbled up once again. Is this an overreaction to say suggest that the Cowboys should bench Ezekiel Elliott and start Tony Pollard? Mm, no, I don't think it is. Um, so, you know, it's too bad that with the NFL, if you like trade someone or cut someone, you, you have to basically take on all this like dead money in the sal- signing cap because otherwise they should have just traded Zeke at the deadline, which is tomorrow. 
but they can't because they would eat so much like dead money. But Tony Pollard in his two career starts with Zeke out has 280 total yards and five touchdowns. I know that's a small sample size. I've kind well, of they, they obviously they still use him a lot. They do when Zeke does play. Yeah, so I I do think there's a role for both, but I do think Tony Pollard is the better running back. So to the standpoint of should he start, he is better. So should this be rephrased as should he Zeke, get more touches or is maybe? Zeke the most overrated running back in the league? Mm. That's a good question. I don't even know like how to phrase it with running backs because with Zeke, is he overrated? Is he overpaid? Is he just getting older? You know what I mean? <laughs> like I don't, I don't know. It's maybe a confluence of, of some of those things. Yeah, I do think Tony Pollard's better though. So in that okay. standpoint, yes, he should. I disagree solely because mm-hmm. Zeke is on my fantasy team and okay. I need him to score points. Well, I, I, the Cowboys are so committed <laughs> to him with the money and everything that yeah. it, this isn't going to happen. But all right, the Panthers are good enough. To win the NFC South after their performance mm. against the Falcons. Yeah, so even they actually they lost. lost the game. Yeah. But are they good enough to win the NFC South? I think they are. And this is more of an indictment on how bad the NFC South is. This is less about the Panthers. Though it is a little bit. By the way, the on the DJ, real quick, on mm-hmm. the DJ Moore situation where he took his helmet off. Yeah. Uh, some of the officials came out, or some of the uh, rules analysts, like the NBC rules analysts, whatever, mm-hmm. Mike Prayer, I think, it's said that that should not have been a flag because... DJ Moore was not in the field of play. Yes, when he removed his helmet, so therefore that should not have been a penalty, which cost them the missed field, maybe the missed extra point to win the game. What if the kicker just missed that anyway? He missed he like a, no, he, he missed like a thirty-five yarder. In he overtime. could have easily just missed the regular extra point too. Um, I that game was bananas. By the way, that was yeah, a phenomenal it was like, game. It was like three to nothing. Yeah, at half or like something, and then they just scored a bunch of points. Yeah, and you know you had just craziness at the end there, but. They very easily, I mean, I, they probably should have won that game, I think is the way of putting it. They missed the PAT there after that penalty. They also missed the, the short field goal in overtime to win it. They probably should have won that game. And the Falcons right now are the team that is winning the NFC South. So very clear. I mean, if they win that game, it would have been a three-way tie among three and five teams in the <laughs> NFC South. So, yes, this is a bit of a, an indictment on the NFC South. And, and still in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, well, Tom Brady, Buccaneers will figure it out. Maybe they will. Will they? But the Panthers just beat the Buccaneers by 18. So <laughs> I think they are good enough to win this division. P.J. Walker taking over at quarterback. He hasn't been, like, good, but he's made big plays when they need him hey, to. Like, that that's, throw that's to D.J. X- Moore. That's XFL. That's legend. right. P.J. Walker to you. Dude, that throw to D.J. Moore. I think it's uh, next-gen stats, which has been a thing since 2016-17. It was the longest completion of air yards in a regular season game since that started. Really? So, like, I'm sure that the Patrick Mahomes one to Atlanta in the preseason, like, that would have been longer. But in the regular season, it was, like, 60-something point something yards in the air. Wow. Before it was caught. It was the longest one. Great throw by him. But, dude, Deontay, Deontay Foreman has become Derrick Henry. <laughs> He's getting, like, 100 yards every game on the ground. He, you well, just can't the, stop it. The him. Panthers' defense is they're not solid. bad. Yeah, yeah, they're not bad. They're an average They're an average to maybe a little bit mm-hmm. above average defense. Got DJ Moore on the outside as an intriguing yep. weapon. I don't turns know. Out, turns out the Panthers are smart for not selling anybody. Yeah. So besides, besides McCaffrey. Uh, yes, they're good enough to win the NFC South. All right. Are the Vikings the most underrated team in the NFL? I think there's uh, a good case for this. I'm trying to think who else would be in that discussion. I think I think I could argue that the Seahawks might be underrated yeah, right now. That's a good one. The Seahawks. I mean, you could even say the, uh, the Giants still, even after they lost to the Seahawks. Yeah. But yeah, see, what, the thing about the Vikings is that the Jets. It maybe. feels like all the talk is about the Eagles and the Cowboys, 
and maybe deservedly so. And yep. maybe it's just because we've been through this a time or two with Kirk Cousins where it's like you're good enough to you know make the playoffs and then you'll lose in the divisional round, right? Um, but they're 6-1. and one, They and are. Yes. So, I mean, they have the second-best record in the NFC, and they're tied for the second-best record in all of football. And it feels like whenever we have these conversations of who's going to go to the Super Bowl, we're like, oh, the Eagles or the Cowboys and the Bills and, you know, the well, Chiefs. It's, it's not sexy to say that Kirk Cousins not. is going to make the Super Bowl. But, like, they have a really good offensive line. They have as good of skill players as, as any team in the NFL, probably. I mean, Dalvin Cook, Alex Madison, that's a really good one-two punch. Receiver, Justin Jefferson is top five receiver. Um, Adam, Adam Thielen's Adam still, Thielen's still solid, decent, you know? Yeah. And then you have on the defensive side, they have one of the best defensive end duos in the entire NFL. So, like, this is this is just a really good team. And it's funny because all those but questions are they a, about are they Cousins, a great team. But all those questions about Kirk Cousins, shouldn't we have the same questions about Jalen Hurts? Like, he hasn't... I Um, I know it's... With Kirk Cousins, Cousins, we've been around the block one or two times. Yeah, he's actually been there, you know. Yeah. He's been there a couple times. What about Dak Prescott? Well, Dak sucks. But why are we having those questions? I'm not having those questions with the Cowboys. I don't know. Yeah, okay. All right, the Raiders. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I... I, Any more thoughts on the Vikings? No, not really. Okay. The Raiders are a bottom three team in the NFL. Ooh, gosh, blanked by the Saints, 24 to nothing. It's Maybe this is biased from watching the Raiders play the Chiefs because they almost won that game. I'm going to say no. Okay. Can you name three teams worse than the Raiders right now? We can't say the Panthers anymore. Um, two weeks ago, you would have. I guess, I guess the Lions? Just by record, you have but, to go the but Lions. the Lions, like again, the Lions, I don't understand. They if, they they play close games. They look like a pretty good team, but they're one yeah. of six. No gun against my head. If you're like, all right, you can pick one of these two teams: the Raiders or the Lions to lose by seven or less. I'm taking the Lions. Yes, but they're gonna lose. But the Raiders are gonna have the better chance of winning the game, if that makes <laughs> sense. So, um, I don't know. I think yeah, you would say the 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 Raiders are better than the Lions. They're better than the Texans. They just beat the Texans by two scores the week okay. before too. There's two right off the bat. Um, didn't they? Name no, they bowl. lost to the Cardinals. They probably are. I don't know. The Colts? The Commanders? No, well, the Colts Commanders are probably better. Colts. Commanders are fine now, actually. Um, <laughs> nobody in the NFC West, right? Is Who's yeah, the worst yeah. team in the NFC South? The Bucks. Yeah, it can't be any of them. I mean, the Saints <laughs> just blanked them. So we're stuck on two right now. Are the Jaguars worse than the Raiders? Ooh, That's a tough one. Maybe. They might be. I if the Jaguars had beaten the Broncos, I would have said Broncos. <laughs> I mean, you could still argue to me that the Raiders will be better than the Broncos yeah. at this point. So I, I don't think they're bottom three, but that Are is actually— Are you finally jumping ship on the Broncos then? I mean, I, I kind of have from the from probably after you the Colts game. You the division. From the Colts game. From the Colts game. Uh, because <laughs> my reasoning before the season was—and and this part has actually turned out to be true with the Broncos— the defense is really good. Like, I thought they'd they have had a good top defense, defense last year. They had a good yes, defense last year. yes. And that was my whole thought process. It was, they had the best defense in the division last year. Now you have a quarterback who's going to come in. You assume would have been better than Drew Locke. Correct. But it turns out he's not. It turns out he's not. Yeah. So that's where my that's where my <laughs> fault in the Broncos prediction was. And once we got through the Colts game, it was pretty apparent to me that this is not getting better for Russell Wilson. So at this point, yes, I, ha- I have died on, on the Broncos there. There we go. Um, but yeah, this one's actually closer than you think with the Raiders. <laughs> All right, the Titans have been the worst 
good team in the NFL in recent history. So the last <laughs> okay. like three or four years. I, don't I know. like this one. Um, I don't know the answer to this one because it's it's tough. But like they have six straight winning seasons. They're five and two this year again, but it doesn't feel like they're being taken seriously. They've again. won the AFC South what two or three times? I mean a lot, and they've over the last six years sixty four and forty. So they're basically averaging like ten and six, something like that. Um, they're twenty eight and twelve over the last two seasons plus this year, and they made the run to the AFC Championship in twenty nineteen. So there's no reason we should be doubting this team anymore. But I see them beat the Texans seventeen to ten, and Malik Willis has fifty five passing yards, <laughs> and I'm like, what? How is this team doing this? And Derrick Henry obviously ran for like over two hundred. Well, the the Titans have a case of Alex Smith syndrome, mm -hmm. where they're gonna win ten and eleven games every year. And they might have a year or two where they make a little bit of a run in the playoffs, but they're not going to win the Super Bowl yeah. with Ryan Tanner. And so from that standpoint, this is accurate. You know what they kind of are, like in baseball terms? The Oakland A's. The Oakland A's will have those random years where they're like winning. So the A's actually suck. Well, now they do. Right now they do. But oh, like okay. the A's for a, a long period of time, like, you know, they're just going to win like 95 games or 96 games. And because they're just going to, like, moneyball it to death. And that's what I feel like. Mike Vrabel's a really good coach. He's really aggressive. He goes for a lot of fourth downs. They just, like, kind of – they just, like, moneyball you to death. Um, and then they win all these games in the regular season. But then once it gets to the postseason and it comes down to maybe more star talent or, in this case, in the NFL, like, QB talent, like, this is what the A's did. They went – um, 86 wins, 36 wins in the shortened 60 game season. 97, 97, and all of those years they lost in their first round of the playoffs. And then, like you go back like half a decade before, and you have 88 wins, 96 wins, 94 wins. They lost in their first playoff series every single time. That like that's just what the A's do. So, so that is what the Titans are. So from that standpoint, yes, they are the worst best team, or maybe they are the best worst team. One of the two. Okay. All right, if Washington had started Taylor Heineke from the start of the year, they would be a playoff team, or they would be mm. going to the playoffs. Okay, so they, they get a close win against the Colts. Against the Colts. After they had the close I, I win against the, Chiefs, the Packers. Man. I hate the Chiefs so much. Yeah, they how lost they? to the Colts. Seriously. Otherwise, they'd be God. tied for the one seed, albeit losing the head-to-head the -head with the Bills right now. Um yeah, the Commanders are four and four, and I don't even know honestly at this point. Like four and four, they if can you go playoffs. nine and eight, like make maybe you do make the playoffs. But I would think that because you're gonna have to play the Eagles, Cowboys, Giants. I don't know how many more times they have to play those teams, yeah, those, but like that's, that that's gonna like kind of beat up of, on each other. That seems like a lot of losses. It does, but I'm also looking at the uh, wild card race right now. So the Cowboys would be the five seed at six and two. The six seed would be the Giants at six and two, and the seven seed would either be the Commanders. Or the 49ers at four and four. So they are right there. They're right in the hunt. And yeah. then if you figure that Taylor Heineke, because I, I think this is very clearly Taylor Heineke is better than Carson Wentz. The team responds yes. to him better. They like him better. They play better around him. And the one thing that, you know, maybe the overall stats are going to look better for Carson Wentz because he's going to dink and dunk maybe a little bit more or not, I don't know, maybe have as many dangerous plays that Taylor Heineke does. But Taylor Heineke is going to be able to get you more winning plays, plays that Carson Wentz is just spinning around and running into a sack or fumbling <laughs> the football. Taylor Heineke is going to spin away from that guy and throw it downfield into a 50-50 ball that, sure, sometimes might get picked off, but other times Terry McLaurin is just going to make an unbelievable catch, yeah. which Carson Wentz was not using. They lost by nine to Detroit in a game that I think was closer than that. I wouldn't be surprised if they would have beat Detroit with Taylor Heineke. They also lost to four to the Titans, and then that Titans game, they ended up having a, a like second and goal at the three, and they couldn't punch it in for a touchdown 
with like a minute or two left. And had they had Taylor Heineke, I'm more confident that they get a touchdown there and maybe they win that game. So yes, they would be a playoff team with Taylor Heineke all season. Man, well, they might still end up being a playoff team. They might. Taylor, like the, the Carson Wentz handicap, not enough to keep them out of the playoffs. No. <laughs> all right. The Bucks are going to finish last in the FC South. Oh. All right. So Panthers just beat them down, even though they're game back. Uh, you have the Falcons who are game better. And then you have the Saints who have given Tom Brady all sorts of issues. No, I do not think this will happen. I think this is maybe the biggest overreaction we've had so far. But even then, I don't think this is that is big of that, an overreaction. Exactly. Is it that much? And especially, what if Tom Brady was just like, you know what? I, I should retire. I'm done. Yeah, what if they're he like, all right, playing Gabbert. Good luck. Well, that would be silly of Tom Brady because he's already, like, with the Giselle situation. You've already lost everything. Exactly. Like, but he's maybe already, he thinks he can win her back. Like, he's already, they've already filed for divorce and everything. So if, if he retires now, then, then you're just a, you're just a loser. No, maybe you're it was like a, you know the Jerry Maguire moment. And he runs and he goes and meets Giselle, and um, then she does the "You had me at hello" or whatever the line is. I don't know. I, I, have, no like I, I have no idea what you're You've about. never seen. Oh my gosh! What? Unbelievable! You've what? never seen Jerry Maguire? No. Uh, that was an overreaction, though. Okay. All right. The Chiefs will look back at their win over San Francisco at the end of the year as their best win of the season well certainly their AFC West wins aren't going to look as good now anymore maybe the Chargers get it figured out I don't feel confident in that though um, they obviously didn't beat the Bills which that would be your best win had you beat them Yeah. and then when you look at the NFC West who they're playing I do think the 49ers are still going to be the best team in that division and I wouldn't be surprised if the 49ers end up making a run deep in the playoffs and, and maybe even make a Super Bowl who knows with with their defense and some of their skill players and the way they utilized Christian McCaffrey. and I would love for the Chiefs to play the 49ers in the Super Bowl again. Because they would they win. Match. Yeah, they would win. The Chiefs would win. I, I think uh, the answer to this might be yes. I mean, what else is in discussion? They play the Bengals later this year. That could be up there. Yeah, I was just looking at the rest of their schedule. So they're, they're at the Chargers on November 20th. They're at the Bengals. Suddenly that Rams game doesn't look like it's no. that big of a deal anymore. Uh, and that's pretty much it. I mean... The Chiefs' gauntlet schedule that the, that what you thought was going to be a gauntlet at the start of the year, now it looks kind of easy. They got the Titans, the Jaguars, <laughs> mm. at the Chargers, the Rams, the Bengals, the Broncos, the Texans. They have the Seahawks, the Broncos, and the Raiders. That's the rest of their schedule. So I think so. Yeah, not an overreaction. That doesn't sound nearly as bad. Nope. All right, that is our NFL Monday overreactions. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to take a timeout when we come back. Top of the 5 o'clock hour, Lance Leipold Audio. That next.